HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VRQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Today, we're up to episode 42 of the podcast, and OMG, long-time listeners will know I'm always effusive about my guests, but this time I was so lucky to be joined by some great guests, former Australian of the Year and renowned mental health expert, Professor Patrick McGorry, who is the Professor of Youth Mental Health at Melbourne University and Executive Director of the Youth Mental Health Specialist Program, Origin. Alongside Patrick was Professor Kylie Reedman, the Pro Vice-Chancellor Education at Murdoch University, and Jack Goodman, the founder and now Executive Chairman of Studiosity, the online student learning support platform. We started our discussion reflecting on research commissioned by Studiosity, showing that large numbers of students want a blended learning offering in the future, and that's despite some institutions providing a relatively poor online learning environment and student experience last year during COVID. Even though we can now go back to -to face-to-face on-campus learning with COVID under control, Most students want the flexibility of being able to undertake some of their studies online. And given that preference for online or technology-enhanced learning and less time spent on campus, universities, TAFEs and private providers are going to need to rethink their traditional approach to student engagement and student support. Kylie discusses technology-enhanced learning and student well-being, and Patrick explains why we all need to be focused on the main health issue facing young people, their mental health, and how tertiary institutions have to do better. In his comments, he also references most moderated online social therapy, and I've included a link to that in the episode notes. Enough from me. Here's what the panel had to say. It's my great pleasure now to be joined by a panel of really interesting guests to talk through online learning in Australia as we've moved through COVID and what students are looking to for the future and particularly what support students are going to need in a more online learning environment. So I'm joined today by Jack Goodman, who is the founder and executive chair at Studiosity, by Professor Kylie Reedman, the Pro Vice-Chancellor Education at Murdoch University, and Professor Patrick McGorry AO, who is, amongst other things, the Professor of Youth Mental Health at Melbourne University. Uh, 
because they're all very distinguished and have all done amazing things, I'm going to ask each of my guests to just briefly give a summary of who who they are and their their career that brings them to this conversation about online learning and the the support students need in in an online environment. And Jack, I'm going to kick things off by um, by asking uh, you if you wouldn't mind. We've had Mike on um, from Studiosity before, but talk us through uh, who you are, how you came to found um, Studiosity, and uh, and a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Claire. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I founded Studiosity about 18 years ago now, terrifyingly enough. Uh, and and originally, the, the, the idea was to bring um, online and on-demand um, personalized learning experiences to students, regardless of their so, so, social, uh, economic, or geographic circumstances. So it really was then and still is about equity of access to quality learning support. Looking back on things, I, we probably started about 10 years too soon, but we began working with public libraries in the outer suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, all the capital cities. And over time, those students morphed from being high school students who were looking for help with their studies to university students. So in the last five or six years, we've really focused all of our efforts on developing a really um, world-class uh, tertiary academic support platform. Uh, and, and we've uh, been thinking and building and, uh, and, and working. And now we work with uh, probably over, over 100 tertiary institutions in Australia, most of the universities in Australia, as well as the New Zealand, the UK, Ireland, and some other geographies uh, as well. So that's my background. Fantastic. Thank you very much. A and Kylie, um, a bit about yourself and, and your role as Pro Vice-Chancellor at, uh, at Murdoch. Hi Claire, thank you for the opportunity to join the panel today. Um, my background has always been in education, so I've been an educator for my whole professional life. But as I've kind of moved into more senior leadership roles in, um, in a university environment, I've taken more of a focus on student success and student wellbeing because I can see those things are critical, um, but also um, particularly accelerated in the last 12 months, of course, technology-enhanced learning. And the, my interest in technology-enhanced learning is about facilitating access and experience for students. And so it kind of does tie into the initial student success, student wellbeing piece. But I think we're in a rapidly moving environment and uh, I th think it will continue to be that way. So it's good to have a chance to pause and think about how student wellbeing impacts on the other plans that universities have for students. Oh, and Kylie, there's a whole podcast conversation we could we could have in that. I might have to get you back uh, because I really like your emphasis on it is technology enhanced learning. I've been, you know, too shorthand in my in my online learning, and what a, a powerfully important piece student access is um, in that discussion. So thank you for that. Um, and Patrick, uh, as my third panellist, I don't think I've had anyone quite so uh, esteemed and well known. Uh, I'm sure uh, most listeners will um, certainly have heard of you. But if you wouldn't mind, for anyone who hasn't and isn't aware of um, the significant contribution that you've made on um, on particularly youth mental health. Uh, fill us in a little bit about your background, please. Oh, thank you, Claire. That was a way too kind introduction, by the way, but uh, thank, thank you. And it's great to be part uh, of the panel today. Um, yeah, I mean, my focus is a little bit different. Um, 
I've I've been working um, in the in the mental health field for for um, probably three or four decades now, and my focus has been on young people, which is their main health issue by by miles, um, is mental health and um, early intervention, and trying to basically um, help the society to understand how poorly they've been treating young people. Really, the um, most precious resource we have, um, society invests. You know, a tremendous amount getting young people to the threshold of productive adult life and we, we've completely failed until the last uh, 10 years or so to really recognise and address their main health issue which interferes with their ability to fulfil their potential and that's um, mental ill health. 50% of young people in the transition to adult life um, will experience a, at least one significant period of poor mental health and, and yet they've had the worst access to mental health care across the whole lifespan. So that's what my colleagues and I have been focused on. And um, of course, no better example exists than, you know, the, the students with huge potential to, to build the, the next the next uh, generation of our society. Um, and that's tertiary students. And I don't think tertiary student mental health has been well handled by universities at all. It's, it's uh, in many respects, it's, it's the same as it was when I was at university back in the 1970s. So we've got to fix up the models of care. We've got to you know, obviously take care of well-being and all of that kind of health promotion aspect of things, but that's often used as a sort of smokescreen for not addressing the, the, the mental health needs of, of young people in tertiary uh, uh, education. And I think we're starting to get some traction. The federal government funded a university mental health framework, um, origin to work with universities Australia and other, other stakeholders to produce that. We now have that framework and now we've got to actually put it into action with new models of care um, and really taking seriously the the responsibility that universities have in, as, as a duty of care, which schools have recognised increasingly, but universities haven't. Um, and there are obviously some notable, notable exceptions, of course. You know, it's, it's, um, there are some pioneers in the university sector as well, but we've got to get all the universities on, 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 on track now and, and the federal government as well to sort of solve this problem and make sure we you know, and help every single young Australian and, and every single tertiary student to fulfil their potential, having put all that effort into getting to that point. So that's where I'm coming from. It's an activist agenda as well as a, an educational one, and uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to work with people to pursue it. Oh, it's a huge call to action, and um, uh, and particularly uh, in the, the last 12 months that, that we've all been through, um, particularly challenging for for young people, both Australian students and um, and international students uh, here in Australia and, and the challenges that they've been through. So thank you all um, for your time today. Jack, I wanted to return to you and, and ask you, I mean, the reason why we're having this discussion is some research that Studiosity uh, commissioned looking at um, uh, students' views of, um, you know, a survey during 2020 of the um, technology-enhanced learning or, or online learning that they had shifted to and their views for, for the future. Can you talk us through some of those results? What were students uh, saying about, uh, about blended learning and their interest in that for the future? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Claire. It is really interesting what we're hearing from students now. Uh, we we commissioned uh, 
studies every year. And 2020 obviously was a uh, a watershed year because everyone suddenly was studying online as the campus is all shut just uh, just about 12 months ago this week uh, while we're recording this. Um, and and I think probably while there are there's there's a lot of information that's come out of this uh, this uh, most recent investigation. Um, a couple of data points really stand out. One is that just about half of all students expressed a preference for a blended learning mode uh, that combines both a mix of on-campus and online options. So that's having now just had 12 months of a you know a 100% online experience. They're actually seeing um, lots of benefits there, and also missing, no doubt, also some of that campus experience. And the other point I, I just sort of highlight is that um, that uh, as students progress through their tertiary studies, uh, those who've been enrolled for more than the first, second, or even third year students are in, in uh, going even deeper into their studies tend to prefer uh, the hybrid learning model even more. And I guess what we're what we're seeing here is that um, that there is a, a real uh, identification by a lot of students that in many ways, the technology, when it's when it's well delivered and implemented, can make life easier and make learning easier. And and part of this is about helping students learn where and when they're most able to um, to put the time and the and, and and clear the mental space for studying. And also that um, that the you know the benefits of face to face interaction um, aren't um, always. Um, the the primary driver of why a student might want to come to campus. There are lots and lots of other reasons why and where learning might best take place. And I think what we're seeing is students now identifying that uh, when campuses do fully reopen and we are fully past the pandemic, whenever that might be, uh, they're unlikely to want to go back to what things were like in 2019 or before. Mm, as someone who uh, <clears throat> a few years ago when she did her undergraduate degree sat in uh, lecture theatres with 500 people. Um, I, I think it, it, it has always surprised me that we haven't understood that um, online learning delivered well, and, and you made that key distinction, uh, can offer an engaging and interactive experience. And in addition, there are other reasons why students also want to, to be on campus. So I think it's going to be particularly interesting as, as universities take forward, what is that blended learning model and, and what does it look like for their students? And so, Kylie, you're the ideal person to, to explain that to us. You spoke at the Studiosity Student Wellbeing Symposium recently, and you focused on, as you talked about um, uh, earlier, student wellbeing, but also the need for um, what you've described as a student-centred approach. Can you share with us what Murdoch Uni is doing to help meet student needs in a more um, online or blended environment, and how you're taking a student-centred approach? Sure, thanks, Claire. And I, I do want to also just um, acknowledge uh, Pat's reference to the differentiation between mental health and mental ill health and well-being as not necessarily being the same thing. And I do think that sometimes those things are conflated. So um, I guess what we're looking at in our online learning environment is is taking the um, mental health framework that's been jointly proposed by or jointly um, 
developed by Origin and Universities Australia um, and really thinking about how do we meet student needs in a more online environment and really paying attention to what student behaviour is telling us about what students want. Just as you were mentioning, you know, can we do online learning better? Are there ways that students are now accessing services, partly accelerated by the pandemic, that have changed? So, for example, our frontline um, student advice services, we're now noticing that even though they're open and students can access them face-to-face, they're tending to stay in the online environment because that Um, suits them better, I guess, and we're just looking into that now. Um, I guess a few points that I'd like to make, if that's okay. A consistent approach to online learning environments. Jack was just mentioning how do we help students spend the time on learning and reduce the sort of cognitive load for things that don't contribute to learning, like finding learning resources in the online environment. So we just need to do things that are that minimise the effort that students need to take to get to the learning environment that they need. And I guess at Murdoch, we're um, just introducing digital learning standards as a threshold. That's something many universities um, have done as well. The other thing that we're really looking at is how do we foster a sense of belonging, which does contribute to student wellbeing. The learner engagement scale that the government has as part of the Student Experience Survey is um is normally the lowest for all universities and that's where they're testing things like students opportunity to interact with others and i think that's been challenged even more when we've been in a remote emergency online environment last year so i think there's a great opportunity there for us to do better in that space to up the interaction which is what what students um have said they missed the most last year and that they want in the online activities and also in the face-to-face activities on campus. So the passive kind of learning models where you might just attend and listen is not something that students value as much as the opportunity to interact and learn with their peers and with their tutors. Thank you. And um, Patrick, you spoke about uh, the the work that uh, you and your colleagues have been doing with Universities Australia and and the challenge that uh, you see for for universities more broadly to step up uh, in terms of, you know, student mental health and and well-being uh, as being two separate and distinct uh, things. I, I wonder, I've also read that you've talked about the need for students to co-design the changes that um, that universities are, are making. Um, could you talk us through a little bit about that and what suggestions you have for universities and I guess TAFEs and other tertiary education providers in providing more support for students in a more online environment? Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, Claire. Um, just to pick up on something Claire said um, about um, if the students are in that online world, we, we've, we've actually got a 10-year program of research led by one of our professors, Mario Alvarez, who has developed an online platform of providing mental health care online. And it's not just a you know a little app or two. It's it's a it's a whole system of care uh, delivered online called Most Model- Moderated Online Social Therapy, and it addresses some of the issues Carly mentioned. The sort of the disconnection socially of the students and so it's like a social network um, but it also has therapeutic and um, it uses positive psychology so it makes that bridge between the mental health language the strength-based sort of language of 
mental health promotion, but actually provides therapy with, within that sort of, you know, paradigm of positive psychology. And it's it's got a huge array of resources which can be tailored to the individual student, but the students can also get support from each other and from peer moderators and also from clinicians online. And it would be very compatible with online learning platforms you know, in general. And it's being rolled out across all the headspaces and the Youth Mental Health Service in Victoria, soon to be in the ACT, maybe Queensland and Western Australia too. So the, this is in the service system, but it could easily be woven into our, 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 onto our campus-based services as well and combine and complement face-to-face services on campus in the way that the learning is, is now a hybrid, as Jack said. So, so I think we're definitely thinking about the new world and the new era post-COVID, um, but we've been thinking about, about that for about a decade already and preparing for this. Yeah, and the other thing is that this came out of the framework discussions with the project that, uh, that Kylie and I have I've mentioned. Um, trying to modernise the services from their 1970s models of, you know, student counselling and student health. Um, some some universities have, have actually explored this already, but trying to modernise. And the debate came up, well, what, what, what should the university provide versus, you know, the, the health system outside the university? And that has to be worked out. What's the, what's the, what's the border? What's the boundary um, and the border crossings there that need to be worked out? Um, but certainly the on-campus services should be co-designed with students uh, and, and they should be integrated with other needs-based services so that the mental health doesn't stick out like a big, uh, you know, stigmatising sort of, you know, uh, uh, sign somewhere yeah. on the campus. You actually embed it within like a one-stop shop like Headspace is, you know, in the community. So the concept is like a, a Headspace on campus, basically, where you have all the major needs of the students are under, under one one sort of roof, if you like, complemented by you know, online sort of uh, uh, systems of, of, of care and support, but not neglecting the expertise that's needed and the multidisciplinary expertise that's needed to manage the mental health issues that young uh, that uh, students will have. Thank you. That sounds um, very impressive and, and a big step forward for, for some institutions. Can I ask you to cast forward... Uh, let's say three to five years. When you're when you're sitting here, it's early 2021. Um, how how far do you expect the sector will have got by 2025, 2026? Are you confident that that you're hearing uh, more than just platitudes? I mean, it's completely obvious we need to do more and do things differently. Do you have a sense of of momentum? Um, care to care to cast forward and and tell us what you think the future will look like? Are you asking me, Claire? I am, Patrick, yes. Yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Um, well, we, we are asking the federal government to establish a tertiary student mental health centre-based uh, at origin. We have a lot of these sort of focal um, subspecialties within youth mental health, and this is one we want to develop further. We don't believe without a research and, and sort of um, development capacity here, uh, which can connect across, you know, lots of other sites across Australia to other nodes as well, that we'll make the progress we want to make in terms of model development and so on. Um, so that's one thing we want to see. We we want to see the services modernised and we want them to kind of interface with the the growth that we, we believe will also happen in youth mental health care outside universities. For example, in Victoria, the Royal Commission is going to dump a lot of money in, into, into public mental health. And one of the key paradigms is the youth mental health focus, 12 to 25. Um, and um, you know we expect that that to be uh, to be sort of 
linking with whatever happens within universities, at least in this state. And there'll be a domino effect because the, the government has to produce a national agreement on mental health reform by the end of the year. And the other states will probably have to kind of rise to the occasion as well. And the federal government will too. So I'm confident we're going to have a very different landscape in about five years. And universities, because of the precious cargo that they have, I really need to get with the program here. And, and I'm, sh I'm sure many vice chancellors um, and many uh, university leaders are, are on board with this. Terrific. Well, I do hope that uh, that your confidence is well placed. Coming from a, a public policy making uh, background, um, I think the the power of a, a well designed Commonwealth state funding agreement to drive real reform is is important, um, and uh, and your emphasis on the the research needed as um, as well to to take this forward. Um, so, uh, Kylie, if that's the challenge for the the university sector, um, what's your sense of the next three to five years? Um, um, either for Murdoch or for um, the university sector more broadly. Thanks, Claire. I agree that we have to turn the dial much more rapidly than we have. I think it's been a, um, if you think about those kind of more old-fashioned sort of medical counselling services that sit on the side, that's not good enough. Um, it hasn't been good enough for some time, but I think there's some urgency here that um, that the data is telling us um, not not just young people but all university students, tertiary students um, are under um, pressure in terms of their mental health. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to do and I think integrated services is a is a really is the way to go and to to also be working with people who might be first responders and things like that. So um, understanding the scope of practice of each of the groups of people who have responsibilities for an interaction with students is really important and taking a holistic view as a university. Um, at Murdoch, I'm really lucky to have both the student success team, student wellbeing team and technology enhanced learning people all within the one portfolio. And I've seen over the last three years that integration and working across has allowed us to um, step forward and understand what it is we're trying to achieve in a much less siloed way. And I think given the other constraints that universities and tertiary education providers uh, face, that is the only way we can um, turn the dial as quickly as we need to. Brilliant. Thank you. And Jack, final thoughts and uh, and look to the future from you? Yeah, thanks, Claire. Gee, this has uh, been an interesting conversation. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely optimistic uh, in for many reasons. Uh, I actually think 2020, while it was a, you know, a horrific year in so many ways, uh, but it, but it, but it did force uh, all of us working in and around the sector to uh, suddenly move in a direction uh, in in terms of you know delivering a, a digital student experience that uh, that would never have happened maybe in in, in five or even ten years uh, without the pandemic and I think now now that we've had that that moment and we're looking ahead uh, I think what we can see is that um, that there is nothing more important than putting students needs first and that we can do that so much more effectively if we in, invest wisely in the right sorts of digital technologies to uh, develop a really hybrid learning experience which is going to give the, the best possible experience for students whether that's academic support or uh, mental 
health and well-being support to deal with stresses and anxieties. Um, I just share one 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 data point I thought was quite interesting. Um, I know you've interviewed the the folks from Holon IQ in the mm-hmm. past, and they do a lot of interesting research. And they just recently came up, published a, a series of slides about the current state of higher education uh, globally, and they developed a statistic that 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 said that basically four cents out of every dollar that universities spend is spent on digital technologies. So ninety six cents is not being spent. It's spent on everything else. Um, there there doesn't need to be a big shift in that needle to make a huge difference in the sort of accessibility and experience that students will benefit from. And I think that's a that's so there's an enormous opportunity. I think that that's we will see that happen. And what we'll see is that universities are waking up to the need and the opportunity of investing more in helping students have the best possible experiences so that, as as Pat says, um, they'll uh, they can graduate into the world and have successful and productive starts to their careers. There's nothing more important than that. So, yeah, very optimistic. And I think that uh, 2020 is going to be seen as a uh, almost a, uh, a starting gun for the transformation of the sector. Uh, Jack, that's a great way to, to conclude. An optimistic note and a really key data point that even in a time where universities' revenues are constrained, um, this isn't necessarily a significant additional investment that uh, that in actual fact as as universities progress to to a more digital future, this is a, a really um, straightforward way that they can really profoundly um, impact uh, students' lives. Um, what a lovely interview. Thank you all so much for making the time. Uh, I've, you've left me feeling inspired for the day and um, I thank you very much and uh, wish you all the best with the, the work that you're all doing. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Claire. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>